With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the 70th episode of Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Warriors beat writer Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by sports columnist Scott Osler. Scott was in Toronto with me to cover games one and two of the NBA Finals. Late Sunday night, Scott sat down with me in Scotiabank Arena's lower bowl to break down Golden State's gutsy Game 2 win, analyze the Warriors' championship medal, discuss DeMarcus Cousins' redemptive performance, and look ahead to Game 3. We'll have our conversation right after the break. On Sunday, Scott Osler sat down with me in Scotiabank Arena's lower bowl. Scott, here we are. It's almost 2 a.m. Toronto time. Uh, full disclosure, as of this moment, I have a flight in less than six hours. Um, hoping to change it. Hopefully Air Canada is cool about that. Uh, but an exhaustingly entertaining game that we witnessed. Game two of the NBA Finals. Warriors won. 109 to 104, a game that they were down 12 in the second quarter. Uh, had one of their signature third quarter blitzes, but the the storyline really extends far beyond any your stereotypical Warriors third quarter blitz. Uh, overcame a bunch of injuries tonight, tons of adversity. Just to kind of run through them real quick, uh, Steph Curry was dehydrated earlier in the game. Uh, had, even had some energy gels to kind of get over that. Uh, started 0 for 6, ended up finishing with 23 points. To, uh, Andre Iguodala collided into Marcus Gasol in the second quarter uh, with an apparent fell, fell to the ground with a, an apparent head injury. Ended up coming back starting the second half and hitting the most important shot of the game down the stretch. Clay Thompson uh, was huge for the Warriors with a team high 25 points, 18 of which were in the first half. Um, ended up leaving midway through the, the fourth quarter with a ham, uh, torn, uh, pulled hamstring. And the Warriors overcame all that. They also overcame uh, an injury to, uh, was it, I believe it was a chest injury, to Kavon Looney, who, as we all know, has been arguably the Warriors' most reliable center all season. With him sidelined, DeMarcus Cousins in his second game, back from a quad injury that sidelined him since game two of the first round, had to play big minutes, like 28 minutes, uh, was really, I thought, solid in those minutes, 11 points, 10 rebounds, six assists, and did a lot of the dirty work, especially down the stretch. This game turned into a slugfest. Um, the Warriors went five-plus minutes without a single point in the fourth quarter, and we're still able to pull this one out. Um, Scott... I just I tried to I tried to streamline all the adversity as quickly as possible, but it was quite a sight to behold. It felt like every other second something crazy was happening. Um, in your mind, was this was this one of the most resilient performances you've ever seen? 
and I'm not. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna keep it open ended. Yeah. Have you that you've ever seen? Yeah. Not Warriors ever. First of all, in terms of you catching a flight in five or six hours, something like that. This series is so exciting now. You shouldn't have to sleep for the next week and a half. So don't worry about that. You'll just be up 24 hours a day with excitement. But this was a, um, you, when you go back five years in this five-year run, um, this has got to rank really high in terms of, of big wins. This was considering all the stakes. You know, if they go down 2 nothing to Toronto going back home, forget about going back home because that's no longer sacred. But yeah. go down 2-0 and to a team that is just super pumped up and really starting to super believe in itself and is playing like the Warriors, as you wrote, is playing like the Warriors did five years ago when they launched this thing with that enthusiasm and creativity and, and fire and all that stuff. If they go, if they go down 2-0 to that group, Warriors are in trouble. You know, they got to really scramble. And in the first half, <laughs> you know, Clay Thompson hit was what, scored the first eight points for the Warriors. And... Everybody else was missing. Everybody else was misfiring. They weren't playing well. Uh, they didn't start. They didn't didn't start playing until like the very end of the first half. Yeah. So for the first three halves of this NBA Finals, they sucked. The Warriors yeah. kind of sucked. And to pull themselves out of that fix, that that's a huge man. That's a huge save. No, it was it was it was one of those games. And I think I wrote this in my game story. It was one of those gutsy performances that lends credence to cliched phrases like championship pedigree and winning DNA and all those kind of catchphrases that championship teams like to bandy about. And as sports writers, we often roll our eyes because, you know, it's a lot of a lot of terms like that can be overused. But tonight was an example of why those phrases are actually based in something real because the Warriors in my mind won tonight because they do have that quote unquote championship pedigree. They're so comfortable with each other when they're down 12 in game two and they're and guys are going down left and right. They're not panicked. They're not afraid. They're, they're not overwhelmed by any moment. Um, they have the utmost confidence that they can win under any situation uh everything seemed to go there go wrong for them in that first half and yet they were only down five points at halftime and as Draymond Green put it post game we can overcome a five point deficit in 10 seconds so that's whatever um they opened the third quarter with on an 18-0 run I believe dating going back to the second quarter that ended up being like a 24 to 1 run 20 20 to nothing run which I believe according to my stat crew which fed, fed me feeding me from back in the office that 20 nothing run was the longest run in an nba finals in the era of since the aba so that goes back i don't know three decades wow. plus i i wish i'd had that in my game story <laughs> uh, that's a phenomenal stat um but that that whole sequence was an example of when the warriors are, are dialed in even without kevin durant they're just unstoppable. I mean, they made the Raptors look downright silly, and the Raptors are a very, very, very good team. I think the Raptors might be the best opponent the Warriors have had throughout this run, and I include the 2016 Cavs team. You might be right because of their, their overall balance and just the, the, their team spirit. You know, 
the Clippers had a great team spirit in the first round, but they were clearly overmatched. They don't have the talent. These guys have the talent. They have experience. They have Serge Ibaka. They got Kawhi Leonard. They got all these guys who have been to the finals, played deep and in meaningful games. These guys are not afraid, and and they have this group belief in themselves, and they're backed by the entire nation of Canada, which is going berserk. And you know, it was a quick aside before the game. These people line up for hours and hours just to get into a park next to the arena so they can stand and watch and cheer together watching a big screen outside. And these, it, was so, it was almost cute. Uh, some company had handed out crowns, like we're, we're the kings of the north, kind of right. paper crowns. Look like Burger King crowns, but those paper things you get. And thousands and thousands of these Canadian fans are wearing these silly paper crowns, but they were so fired up. It was, it was kind of cool. So... This is the kind of atmosphere the, the Warriors, not that the Warriors walk outside and see all this stuff, but they're aware that they're facing more than just a, a pumped-up team. They're, they've got a, a whole nation against them. Yeah, and this felt like a huge game on a se- several levels. I mean, I looked at the numbers earlier today, and teams that have gone down 2-0 in the playoffs have a 94% chance of losing the series. And so if the Warriors had lost this game, if any team is capable of coming back from a 2-0 deficit in the playoffs, it's definitely these Warriors. But just statistically, the odds are so stacked against them. Yeah, especially with as banged up as they are. Yeah, especially with how as banged up as they are, and you don't know what Durant's status is. Um, You know, he there's no guarantees he'll be back for Game 3 or even Game 4 for that matter. But now that this series is tied 1-1... And they're going back to Oakland for home court advantage for two games. And you, you're looking at potentially getting Durant back. I mean, it feels like the Warriors are in a really good spot right now. Oh, yeah. De- yeah, definitely. And uh, I don't know, just looking at the, the stat sheet tonight, one thing that jumps out at me is the assists. Because as we, had, we know, when the Warriors are at their best, they're going 30-plus assists. Tonight they had 34 assists, which is great. But then you look at, at Toronto – which is trying to play warrior type ball. They had 17 assists, so 34 to 17 assists. That's the one stat that really jumps out at me and and, and shows and shows how what kind of warrior game this was on offense and defense. Yeah, no, I I agree. And one thing that was interesting about this game too was you got some really timely contributions from from guys. Quinn Cook had nine points off the bench, a couple of really big shots in that fourth quarter. Um, the fact that he's even playing in those crunch minutes kind of boggles my mind. I mean, think about where this team was three weeks ago, two weeks ago, when guys like Jarebko, Quinn Cook, Jordan Bell could not even sniff the floor. And here they are, you know, getting meaningful minutes. Uh, Jarebko and Bell didn't get a ton of time tonight, but Quinn definitely did. And Alfonso was, was key at times. And uh, Andrew Bogut, who did not play in the last game, uh, you know, definitely helped at times. So, um, kind of, it kind of just reinforces that whole strength in numbers philosophy, and I think that's one huge difference between the Warriors and the, and the Raptors. And I think that's a big reason why the Warriors won tonight. You look at the Raptors lineup; only, they only played eight guys, and you know, you had you know, all three of those bench guys playing 16-plus minutes. And this is a Raptors team that, entering the series, was supposed to have a much better 
bench than the Warriors. It was most, supposed to have a much better depth. But the reality of the situation is that I really only – I think that the Raptors have three really good bench guys, the three guys that played tonight, Brad Van Fleet, Serge Ibaka, Norman Powell, OG Anubu I don't, – I don't know how to pronounce his last name. So OG, the guy from Indiana, I believe second or third-year player, he's, a, he's an athletic wing could definitely play but he's coming back from an appendicitis he was technically available to play tonight but uh it just wasn't realistic for him to play in this high stakes of a game he's a guy who if healthy i think could be a real help but you know he's just not and then you know you have patrick mccaw you know who we are all well very familiar with played game one but not a real difference maker jeremy lynn you know he's a guy who is obviously well-known, but is kind of, I think, an empty stats guy. Not really going to help you at this stage. Um, so I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say here is that the Warriors bench isn't that, isn't, as, isn't that much worse than the Raptors bench, even though that was kind of the, the big advantage for the, the supposed big advantage for the Raptors entering the series. Yeah, and one thing about the Warriors bench, when you look at it, there's not one guy out of the, the eight, guys that played off the bench tonight who you look at and say we know every night what the Warriors are going to get out of that guy they're going to get a solid 12 minutes of this and that these guys are all over the map sometimes they have great games sometimes they don't but it to me it shows what uh, Curry is I'm sorry what Steve Kerr has built you know it's not just his his corny slogan strength in numbers but he builds a confidence in these guys and for instance tonight Quinn Cook clanged his first two three-point shots. I think one was just clanged off the rim, barely made contact. The other one was really bad. And, of course, Kerr didn't have a lot of leeway because he had guys hurt, so he had to kind of stick with Cook. But he, he did stick with him, show confidence in him, and Cook came back and stuck three three-pointers in a row in the second half, which were huge. So <laughs> it's, it's a weird. It's like a jack-in-the-box thing. You never know who's going to pop up for these guys. But uh, tonight it was Cook, and for sure, you know, Bogut had a, a couple... Uh, alley oops at the rim, and uh, and not off the bench, but uh, Cousins was not off the bench, but out of nowhere, <laughs> kind of came in and his play. It's weird. What he seems to give them, I think, is like this weird fierceness. He plays so hard. He plays he plays like a, a kid who just got cut from the varsity, and the coach said, "Because you're not playing hard enough, and I'll give you one more chance." So he goes out there and just kills it. But it's it's a weird. Uh, Weird chemistry they got going on now. Yeah, no, it's uh, and like I said, Durant might be coming back. Um, the big narrative after Game One was the Warriors need Kevin Durant, and there were definitely times, especially in that first half, where I felt like Durant would be so helpful right now um, because they were they were stagnating in such a big way. Um, there were stretches where it just looked painful for them offensively. The Raptors, I was talking to Tim Bontems tonight, who works for ESPN, covers the Raptors on a regular basis. He told me he thinks the Raptors are the best defense the Warriors have ever faced, and I agree with him. They are doing things schematically that I think other teams have tried, but they're just executing it a lot better. Like their their aggressive pick-and-roll defense on uh, Steph has been so much more effective than when you see other teams doing it. They have a guy like Fred Van Fleet who can be very physical with him, but they also have other options to help him out. And Steph looked downright 
out of it in that first half. Now, yes, I'm sh- I do believe he was dehydrated. I'm sure that played a factor. He sc- still got the finger thing. So there's always things, but it's rare that you see Steph that out of it. And from what I could tell from my vantage point, a lot of it had to do that with the defense because he was just getting harassed repeat, like relentlessly. And uh, so you got to tip your cap to Nick Nurse, first-year head coach, who I think has done as good of a job as you can do in terms of game planning for these Warriors. Yeah, especially when you consider last year that Toronto – had a really good season and they had the coach of the year and they fired him to bring in Nick Nurse, which was a lot of people, everything I read was like, oh my God, how can they do that? They're idiots. It was a ballsy move. And I have so much respect for the the president who, who did that because his philosophy was, you know what? We're not going to win a title with this team. And he was right. I mean, best case scenario, that team would have made the finals this year, but they would have either gotten swept by this team or they'd lose in five games. This team actually has a chance to beat the Warriors. And it's because he went out on a limb. He took a major risk in trading for Kawhi Leonard. And he changed his leadership. And as you know, I mean, you're obviously much more seasoned than me. You've been in the workforce longer than I have. Sometimes – you. Places need a change in leadership, and it's not because the previous boss or whatever was bad. It's just because things get stale or, or just there needs to be a change made, right? Well, well, didn't we see something like that in Golden State? They had Mark Jackson who kind of led them out of the wilderness and revamped their – made them into defensive demons and, and empowered Steph Curry and really made quantum leaps for the team. But Joe Lacob and, and his crew – decided that he had taken them as far as he could go and they needed something more. And I was one of the people that thought, ah, you know, I was not a huge Mark Jackson fan, but I thought the guy's done a good job. He didn't deserve to get fired. And what are they, they going to go find somebody better? Well, apparently they did. They found this guy, Steve Kerr. So it just goes to show that the, the people of vision, they don't always make every decision right, but to take big risks like that is, is part of the deal. That's how you make a great team. And, you know, since we're leaving Toronto, we, I ha, we're obviously going to be coming back here for game five. We know that now. Um, luckily, I, I booked it. I booked my flight for game five yesterday, just kind of suspecting that the Warriors weren't going to get swept. Uh, but since we are about to leave Toronto, I want to ask you, what were your thoughts of the city of Toronto, the vibe around the city in terms of their love for the, the Raptors, the fan base. Um, what were your, what were your big takeaways? Well, the city, I was knocked out. Uh, first of all, their, their, their Raptor love is, is crazy. It seems like, oh yeah, a bunch of, they're all of a sudden jumping on the bandwagon, but they're for the most part, Toronto and Canada is, is new to, to pro basketball and certainly new to pro basketball at this high level and success. And I think it's kind of, endearing the way they've they've jumped on it and the way they've supported this team and in terms of the city itself it's a fantastic city it's a great place just to walk around it's a charming city the diversity is is crazy the the culture and everything and i know it's a cliche but the politeness is is beyond belief i almost i'm i'm still coming to terms with it because i keep running into people where in situations where in normal situation back where we live People would get grouchy or crabby or honk their horn or yell at somebody or flip somebody off. And here it's just like, oh, it's okay. Hey, sorry. Oh, sorry about me. And it's, uh, 
if from the outside it might seem uh, corny or whatever, but to me it was fantastic. I just loved it. Yeah, no, I I honestly I I think I probably told you maybe a half dozen times since we've been here. We've been here almost a week now. <laughs> um that I could see myself living here and I mean that. I mean just people here are just so nice. I, I think I could I think I could deal with the cold. And don't get me wrong, listeners, I love the Bay Area. It's an amazing place, but if you haven't been to Toronto, you need to go. Speaking of the niceness, I I uh my key to my hotel room was deactivated for some reason this afternoon and I couldn't get into my room and I go down to the lobby front desk and I say, Hey, you know, my, my key's not working. And the front desk guy was so apologetic that it was almost like he, you know, his, his friend had accidentally run over my cat or something, you know, it was like, dude, it's okay. It's all good, you know, but he was just so effusively apologetic. Um, but I appreciate that. And I think it's it's also fun in sports because the fans here are very diehard and love their team, but they don't cross any lines, whereas other cities I've seen them be rude and disrespectful. Your wife was here. Yeah. And she got to go to a uh, – I think she went to both games. Yeah. And yeah, my wife, and at least the first game, I don't know what she wore tonight, but the first game she wore a – because she doesn't work for the media and she's unaffiliated. Lives with, in the Bay. Right. Uh, so she wore a Steph Curry or Warriors jersey, a shirt of some kind. And she asked me, she said, do you think it's cool if I do that? And I said, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little worried about that. I, I, I said in any other arena, I would be really worried – but from what I hear about Toronto, it's probably okay. So, you know, it's up to you, but go ahead. And she told me she didn't hear one word. She didn't hear one single word from anybody, uh, any negative word. So th- that to me is crazy. Anybody who's been to a, a, a Raider game, for instance, or <laughs> or any kind of game in, in the Bay Area or anywhere in the United States, you wear the op- opponent jersey to a big game, you're going to have people, good-natured or otherwise, give you a hard time. But not here. No, no. And uh, so kind of looking ahead here, um, it looks like uh, KD could be back for game three. I personally would be shocked. Um, Steve said earlier today that KD's going to need to play at least one practice. He could come back after one practice. The Warriors are going to have one more practice before game three. They're taking tomorrow off. They're practicing Tuesday, game Wednesday. Um, He hasn't, he hasn't, done any contact work all he's done is individual shooting basically and so you got to think that's a long shot after that the Warriors only have one practice before game four so he would have a chance but even that feels like 50 50 at best yeah isn't it looking more like game five is more realistic if you're really trying to figure it out yeah and I honestly think that if the Warriors can at least split this homestand, you know, the split games three and four, they should feel pretty good potentially entering a game five in Toronto with Durant. I'd be surprised if his absence at this point went much longer than that, especially since you got to think he's incredibly motivated to get back. Um, So that that's, that's gotta be a good situation for the Warriors. Um, but 
I'm not gonna look. I'm not gonna overlook this Raptors team, man. I mean, they they continue to impress me, even though they lost tonight. I was impressed by them in a lot of ways. Kawhi Leonard, who uh, was really not a huge factor in Game One, uh, tried to put them on his back. Props, by the way, to uh, Draymond Green, who did a much better job on Pascal Siakam. Pascal Siakam is only five for eighteen. 12 points this is a guy who went off for 32 in game one i had a feeling that was going to happen because you know how Draymond is when he when he gets embarrassed like that he'll study the film and he'll make the necessary corrections and he will uh he will embarrass the the guy who embarrassed him which yeah. is what he did tonight yeah i agree I, I think if you're a warrior fan and you're behind this team um you got to feel really good about this. Just everybody, despite the injuries and everything, these guys are firing on all cylinders. Their confidence is high. They're 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 fearless. They've been here before. They're not the least bit intimidated or worried or afraid. They're just going to come out and play their game. And their game is is pretty is pretty special. And uh, I kind of, if I was a fan, I would like the way they were sitting right now. Definitely. Um, and. As a reporter, I, I like the way this series is going because yeah. it's been so interesting. A couple things to monitor before game three. Kavon Looney, his injury, he's having a CT scan and an MRI tomorrow. Um, his status is a big deal to me. Um, I know he doesn't score a lot, but he has been the most dependable center this team has had. Uh, he's very good defensively. He matches up really well with several of the Raptors' key players. And for the, for the Warriors to feel really good about their chances going forward, he has to be healthy, you know, at some point. He, he, maybe he misses game three, but he needs to come back at some point. And uh, Clay Thompson, that's huge. Uh, he tweaked his hamstring, and it looked pretty bad uh, watching the video looked pretty bad and um he was limping when he left the arena tonight so um, imagine just briefly if clay doesn't play in game three and durant we assume doesn't play in game three and uh that leaves kind of steph curry out there on a limb in terms of scoring and tonight they did such a great job blanketing curry that he he, he got looks but they were not open he didn't get the usual He'll get four or five pretty good yeah. open looks in most games tonight, man. His it's, looks were. It's were, hard to imagine a world where, even at home, the Warriors beat the Raptors without Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson and Demarcus coming back from an injury. Still, um, that's just hard to fathom. Uh, you know, and Kavon too. Um, if he doesn't play either, that's that's going to be a tall, tall, tall task. Um, but the one thing about Clay, I don't think I've ever been around a player who is tougher than Clay. I mean, he, his injury history is remarkable. He hadn't had an even semi-serious injury until last season when he broke his thumb. I talked to his dad and stuff around that time, and he had not even missed more than a couple games at a time going back to middle school, high school. Um, and there have been injuries. He just plays through them. And right. you guys well, remember the finals last year? Yeah, the final, the high ankle sprain. And it was the kind of injury, I don't think enough was written about it. It was 
from from what I could read and understand, it was a phenomenal comeback. High ankle sprain, which normally would put you out for two or three weeks or more. What was he out, like one day or something like that? And he came back and played really well. That was yeah, crazy. yeah, but... It, from what I heard, I, he was having a tough time even like putting on a shoe, yeah. and he played, and he actually had a decent game, I believe. I think he had like twenty points in that game. Um, the thing that I've learned though is that there's a big difference in basketball between an ankle injury and a hamstring injury. Sure. Um, an ankle injury, you can kind of play through it if you really need to, but a hamstring injury, it's a little bit more wonky. Calf injury even to a further degree. Um, maybe Clay could just top around on one leg. Maybe. I know he's going to do everything in his power to play. Uh, and it's just a matter of Rick Celebrini, the head trainer, signs off on it. Um, but like I said, they they especially if Durant's not playing, which I don't think he is in game three, they could really use Clay. Um, he was He was so big for them. In that first half, they they wouldn't even had a chance tonight if Clay hadn't ridden been the guy, and and that's often the case. I feel like with this team is um, Clay will kind of get them through those stagnant stretches uh, at times, and when when winning time comes, you know, like crunch time, then Steph will take over. Uh, but they need each other to kind of balance each other out. I feel like there's been so many times this season where Clay's had like 27 points and he's had 20 of them in the first half. Uh, and that doesn't mean he's not a clutch player. That's he's just getting the points when they really need them. <laughs> um, so uh, Scott was here with me, obviously th- for throughout our time at Toronto. He's going to be with us throughout the series. We will be back here for Game Five. We know that. I would not be shocked at all if we came back here again for Game Seven. And Killian, who had to had to jet because she has a flight even earlier than mine. Uh, has been doing great work for us. Uh, wrote some great, wrote a, wrote a great column tonight. Uh, so stay locked and loaded as always. SFChronicle.com, um, and we're gonna we're gonna keep bringing the goods. All right, let's go get them. I want to thank Scott Osler for joining me on the podcast. It's always fun chatting Warriors with him. Warriors Off Court is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter at con underscore cron and email me at cleturno at sfchronicle.com. Support Warriors Off Court and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.